Our sermon text today is from John chapter 12, verses 44 to 50. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes into me, believes not into me, but into him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes into me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge them. For I do not come to judge the cosmos, but to save the cosmos. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Arnold, is that coming up or... Oh, there it is. Great, great, great. Thank you. Now, many of you know when I when I when I want to speak on on a passage, any part of the Bible, one of the things I love to do is kind of get in deep with context, mostly because the cultural and even the immediate textual context is often something that is ignored by people. And by capturing context, and you can really you can wrestle truth out in new ways and, and see things you probably couldn't see before. That's one way that it's important to read our Bibles. Uh, Dylan, you've talked about how much you love that connection and discovery. But we're not going to do that today. And the reason we don't have to always do that is because there's, there's parts, sometimes the Bible is merely theological. In other words, sometimes, and especially true in the book of John, but it's true in a number of the letters of Paul, for example, where you get literally raw discourse. You get raw thinking. You get thinking about God. You get thinking that has to be, has to be kind of unpacked. How many of you, look, this was just being read, how many of you just, cl- just clued out? I just didn't. This, this is very abstract. And Christ here, I'll give you this much context. This is Christ's last words to everybody. It's his last kind of public discourse in John. After this, he's going to talk for chapters on end, but it's going to be only to his disciples. And we're going to find it's extremely intimate. It does have a deep message for us and a very rewarding one. But this is kind of his last uh, crying out. And he, he's been telling us he's on the way to the cross and, 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 and he's crying out and there's all this tension going on around him. People are angry. People want to kill him. And he, and, and he says a bunch of things just before this that are very, very hard. Last time I spoke, three weeks ago, we looked at how this idea that God hardens people's hearts. This chilling, frightening idea that at this moment, God could harden. You, if you were sitting here and go, I don't like this, that could be God hardening you. Or some hardening that's happened. We looked at that, and that was, that was difficult to hear and difficult to speak about even. But here, I, I want to I take a different tack. Like I said, I want to get to talk about the theology of this text and, and this perspective. And the way I'm going to do this is I want to talk about three problems I think the text has, three problems that exist in Christianity, three problems that exist in your spiritual life. And the first of that, those problems is... How does the finite, that's you limited, mortal, you have a beginning and an end. How is the finite, how does the limited conceive of, understand, think about, have a relationship with the, the infinite? It's, it's a thorny problem. 
You think about it, it's all sorts of problems about this. But how does finite, how do we find as finite creatures know infinity when we see it? It's very common, for example, in a lot of cosmological theories with physicists to talk about the universe being eternal, eternal in time and eternal in extent and extension. But there's a big problem with that because you can never see the infinite if you're finite. You can never see it because you'd have to be infinite to see it. You can't get big enough to see that set. You can't get big enough to see it all. And so, therefore, whenever a scientist says the universe is eternal, he is making a faith statement at that point. It's not something he's ever observed or could observe. He's making a faith claim, but that's for another time. But the, that, that problem, the second problem I see in the text that Christ refers to here is that uh, the problem of how a holy God, now the finite infinite problem is our problem, really. We are finite. It's a bottom-up problem. How do we look at the infinite? That's a, it's our problem, in a sense. I think God solves it in Christ. But the second problem is a problem he has. It's not a problem we have. It's a problem, well, it's a problem that's with us, but it's a problem he has. And that is he is holy and pure and good and cannot look upon evil. He cannot counsel it. He can't forgive it. Can't, there's, no, there's no quick forgiveness in God. Something has to be done for forgiveness to happen. And that's why we, that's why we come to the cross. But that second problem is severe. It has to be addressed. How does the imperfect talk to the perfect? How does the unholy speak or know the holy without judgment? He talks about judgment in this text. Finally, how do we live in this world with all of these problems? The third problem is how do we then live? Like, how do I live in a world where I am stuck, I'm suspended? I actually I showed this to Peter, uh, and we're going to go through all these in a second. But uh, I, I asked the question here, in this problem between his holiness and our corruption and guilt and his eternity and us in the natural world in finite space-time, we live in this, quad, in this section where all of this eternal reality is tearing us apart sometimes. It's very confusing to be a Christian sometimes, isn't it? Am I alone? Am I the only one that's confused? And if I'm confused, how much, how much more confused must you all be? <laughs> So my point being is that we, we live in this, 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 I think this, this, this text explores these tensions. But uh, how does it explore them? I, first thing I want you, to do, want you to see is take a look at verse 46. This is really where I want us to kind of begin. And I want to begin and I want us to rethink our understanding of who Jesus is and what he's about so that we, can, so we are not confused. You see, Jesus, reality... It, we tend to think of reality in the universe, and God is in reality. He loves us in the universe, and we're sitting here, and God is a part of reality, comes and helps us. But do you hear, can you hear in the text, could you hear it for a moment, where does Christ position himself with the cosmos? He is not a part of it. <laughs> He's not a part of it. He comes into it. That is such a weird, weird, it's such a different idea than we perceive. We tend to take God and want to locate him in our world, in our cosmos, in our cause and effect. As if, as if he could be located there. He tells us again and again he can't be. But we tend to think that way. God, Christ, as the word, exists outside all of the universe. Whether it's 93 billion light years across or 14.6 billion years, it doesn't matter. He is greater. Christ, as the word, comes in from the outside. 
Which then, of course, leads us to the solution of our first problem. How can the finite possibly know the infinite? And you see the problem all across the Bible. God even says it in Isaiah, who will you compare me to? Do you get why that's a problem? Because he exists beyond the universe, there's no locality, to com- there's no frame of reference for him. You can't say, oh, God is like this, or he is, it doesn't really work. Because he is greater than space and time. So therefore, you, he, and, and God is aware of that. He says to us, this is, how you, this is one of the foundational ways you can understand me, is to understand there's a problem here. <laughs> there's such a gulf between us, out of mere, pure size and extension, <laughs> that is phenomenal. You cannot understand me. Who to whom will you compare me? Says I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number. The universe, right? The stars, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is so strong in power, not one is missing. What do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. He can't see me. My right is disregarded. He doesn't care. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. John picks up on this idea. No one has ever seen God. Ephesians 3.19. Paul picks up on that idea. He says to know God is to know what? To have a knowledge that surpasses knowing. What is that? What is happening here? What is happening? And there's an idea here that God has to make himself known. God, and, and if you see it right here, have you not known, have you not seen the Lord? It, it, my way is hidden and he doesn't care. The, the reality is that God is much more mysterious as the infinite than you ever imagined because the infinite is concerned about Corey's job. <laughs> and, the infinite is, and the infinite has come to embrace and be amongst the finite. And that's what we call the incarnation. This is why Christ says things that don't make any sense like this. Whoever sees me, what does he say? Sees him who sent me. That's not possible. But the infinite has made it possible. Praise him. Something has happened here. Something that does it, that that flips our, our, our even our model of what is real. And then, and then as it flips that model, tells it that the cosmos is smaller than the love that is ours. <laughs> Turns it around and, and delivers and, and delivers. And I, I, let me, I, something about this. He who ever sees me, sees him who sent me. I've come to the cosmos. The one who rejects me, receives my words. And one of the things that hit me was this, that we were just in France. And of course, it's going to become an illustration. But we, we got a chance when we were in Paris to go to um, the Chapelle Chapel, which is, was the king's, I think Louis XIII or something. It was his king's chapel. It was his personal, private chapel. And it was some of the best stained glass in all Europe. And what I, was, I was going to the chapel, and a couple things hit me. The reason the chapel was so famous was in its basement where it was the crown of thorns. Or so they claim. It was a great reliquary. And the, 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 the king became extraordinarily powerful by having the tokens and bits and pieces of Christ's suffering. Because by having them, he could control what? Or, and what did he control in that sanctuary that nobody could go into but the king? By having them, what could he control? Access to God. You get it? You want to 
You want to touch God? Then you come talk to me. And of course, what has Christ said to Louis XIII? <laughs> no, he who has seen me has seen the Father. This is, becomes the announcement that he gave in John 14. Now, the reason this is so exciting, and the reason, and, 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 and as you're around all these Catholic images and all, and, and all, the, and all the, the mediatorial work of the saints, I hear Christ crashing through what we think must be barriers, right? We think he must not be, he must not want to be close to me or, or would want, I, there must be some media, and there isn't. Christ immediately delivers the eternal, infinite God in all of his love to you. I was, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I, really, I really like my TV. It's really big, I really, 65 inches, and unfortunately we built a cabinet for it so we could never get any bigger. Unless we upgrade the house. It's a big, big, big TV. And of course, when you're going to buy a TV nowadays, I do all this research, and you, and you, want, you want to get something, but you want to, as the technology gets better and better, what does it keep delivering to us? A better and better picture. A picture that's got more and more clarity. A picture that looks more and more real. A picture that almost feels like, and the first time I remember seeing high def was, a, was a, I think the best place to watch it really is on a, is on a football game because you could see the grass, the individual blades on the field. It's like you're there. What is Christ saying about himself? That's how I deliver God in who I am. That's how I, I want you to, in fact, it's better than that, but I'm trying to, we're just looking for images here, right? That somehow can tell us that the point of God and the point of Christ in his love was to deliver to us for immediate access all that God is, period. And I, what do you do with this, guys? There's nothing but hope and dreams and beauty, if that is true. Because that's what I... But Christ is saying things that are so bizarre and weird and strange and wonderful. They're more wonderful than we even know how to recognize when we first see them. I have come into the cosmos. Praise him with that highest praise. So as, he, as Christ is the deliverable, and as he, he delivers, he actually delivers the true presence of God himself, he does it even now. You see, if Christ is eternal and if Christ is this person, is God-man, then, then there is no barrier immediately for Melody here and now. There has been no barrier since we began. There has been no barrier yesterday, and there wasn't a barrier. And if there is an intimacy between you and God, it is because of your refusal to seek it. That's the only reason. He is real. He is available. He is immediate. He is now. Praise him with highest praise. How is he going to be delivered to us? We're going to see that it's going to happen through his words. He's going to keep talking about that. But let's talk about, let's talk about the second problem. Um, let's talk about the second problem, the problem of judgment. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I do not come to judge the cosmos, but to save the cosmos. And of course, he's located in this time. But then he's going to tell you, doesn't, the fact that he's not judging in this moment doesn't mean a whole lot, does it? Because the one who rejects me and does not receive more has a judge. Who is it? It's the word he has spoken. And so he's delivering judgments, and it's not just immediate. Why? What's the problem with judgment? Here's the reality, guys. The gulf between you and the infinite God is nothing compared to the gulf between you and your wickedness and your wretchedness and a holy, imperfect, unbelievably majestic God. 
Every part of the Bible talks about this. You don't, need, you don't need to pay a cursory attention to the scriptures to discover that every person that knew God wondered how they could have. Because how could God love me? Every person who meets him falls on their faces, oh dad, crying out, I'm going to be done. Because they know the principles. They know these problems. Anybody worth their salt knows these problems. Isaiah knew these problems. Ezekiel knew these problems. John knew these problems. And so when John met him, and John had walked with him, and it's like, what does John meet him in glory? What does John do? I fell at his feet as though dead. And he reached out and touched me and said, what did Jesus say? Don't be afraid. But this gulf, what should we do with it? And how should we understand it? What did God say from the beginning? You cannot see my face. Why? For no man shall see me and live. This is unutterable, incomprehensible, and majestic, infinite, eternal purity. And it will not be stained. It won't. It won't be stained or mocked by any of us. Ever. His justice is so extreme, it says he, he will know under no circumstances. Look at it. Keep, keep steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But what? Who under no circumstances clear the guilty. How could he forgive but not clear the guilty? Well, we know why, don't we? What is Christ saying? Why is Christ able to say, look at me and look at God? Because he accomplishes in his body and his blood and his life and his love. What does he accomplish? He becomes sin. Even though, even though he knew no sin, he became Johnny's sin, and became Rochelle's sin, and Agatha's sin, and my sin, and Grace. All of our, he became sin. What? That, in, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, uh, the, the, you know this part of the story, I think. I think this is the part of the story that's the easiest to talk to you about. But, but let me give you uh, something. I may have shared the story. I've always loved this. This happened to a good friend of mine, uh, my first climbing partner, my first uh, apprentice under. And he was a nuclear and, uh, electrical engineer. And I, I don't know if you've ever done this, if, if any of you are in those programs. I think he was at Purdue. But they would put, the, uh, as one of the classes, they put on a suit, the, uh, the charged suit. And when the suit was charged, they could climb a ladder, and there was a, a high voltage line there, 40,000 volts, right? And with all the ampage necessary to turn you into a, a speck of dust, right? Well, you could get up there, and you could touch it. He said it was the weirdest thing. You could reach on to a cable of live power that would incinerate you, and you could touch it. And it felt like, like, a, like, like I guess, it, I, I don't know. Did, you know what I mean? When you electrocute, it feels like bees. Uh, but I think it kind of, you ever had that, that feeling of bees? I hate that. I hate that feeling more than, uh, makes my skin crawl. But uh, that, you could touch that. How? Well, you had, he had this charged suit on. You see the picture here. Rochelle, you're a good friend and a lovely woman, but you are an offense to the Lord. Who will go for you? He who knew no sin became sin for Rochelle. <laughs> he who knew no sin became... And this door wide opens up, and now you see the riddles, the riddles that we live in, and the tensions between holiness and corruption, between eternity and finitude, between an eternal God and just living in this world and space-time, and between a God who can never be corrupted and us who are full of corruption. All these tensions that go back and forth have a beautiful, beautiful answer. Because uh, I want you, I mean, maybe you can see it here. Um, where, did, where does Christ die on a cross? Right here. Right where you need to live. 
right here for you as you live here in the tensions that pull at us. For we are, and, and this is so weird. I was thinking about this as living in Christ's words because he's going to tell us that we need to, his commandment is eternal life. And, and I want to know how to live here. I, how do you live here in this world? Trapped, as it were, or torn, or somehow, some, don't you sometimes feel just a bit schizophrenic as a Christian? Don't you just feel a little weird? Like, I have two minds. I don't know what it is. I'm like, I'm, one minute I'm like, I've got this great, you know, talk, Chris is talking, and I, I can kind of hear and picture this great God, and the next minute, by Sunday night, I'm, you know, I'm so angry at my boss, I could kill them. I don't care. How do I live in these worlds where I deal with corruption, but I have to see, and I have to look at his whole, I have to see my own corruption. We have to, get, we, praise to the Lord, praise to our Savior, because this is where the cross happens, where eternity meets finitude, and where holiness can cure corruption and guilt. Praise him. Let's go back to that mediatorial problem. There's only one mediator between God and man, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, who is both God and man. And he seals those contraries. He seals those tensions and delivers to us a real salvation that's right where we are. And he also delivers to us his words, how to live where we are. He does both. He does both. It's kind of beautiful that way. And, and so um, I had something in my mind I was going to say about that, but who knows what it was. It doesn't really matter. So um, how do we live in these paradoxes? Now, what I hope to do today is, is to do exactly what Christ does in this text. Let me go back to it so you see it. My words. My words. My words. His commandment is eternal life because he told me what I say, therefore I say as the Father has told me what he says. There's a weird attempt in this generation to separate Jesus from his words. I don't know where it comes from. Well, I do know it comes from, it smells like smoke, right? It smells like uh, brimstone because it comes out of hell. There is an attempt to separate Jesus from his words to say, oh, you know, I really like Jesus, but I don't know, I don't, you know, the things he says, I'm not as into that, Chris. I, but Jesus is great. Or uh, conversely, Christ's words are what I'm on. But you know, I don't know if Jesus was even real. There's always these attempts to separate Jesus from Paul or Jesus from the rest of the Bible. They're all phony. They're all attempts by our enemy to separate us from how to live in this world by making us question his words. Do never question his words. Uh, let me give you a rule for thinking about everything in life. Whenever I disagree with the Bible, I'm wrong. Can you say that with me? <laughs> Whenever I disagree with the Bible, I'm wrong. You know, that's something I have to tell myself. Because well, well, no sooner am I in his words than I go, well, I, oh, yeah, that's kind, of a, that's kind of a rudimentary cosmology there. I'm sure. <laughs> what, what am I? What, oh, yeah, all I did there and all I have done, all of you have done again and again when you make, when you make challenges to him about sexuality or about your life or about, about your job or about how you're called to follow him, all you've done is is in a sense looked at the eternal God and his words and his revelation and an eternal love for that which was an offense to him and saying, eh, yeah, yeah, maybe. Do you hear yourself? Do you hear? I do it. But let's praise him. Oh, I know what to talk about. Uh, this mediatorial thing before we get into his words. So sometimes people ask me to pray for them. Do you ever, has any of you done that? Sometimes, you'll, sometimes, they, sometimes I think people ask me to pray for them because they think I got better access. 
It's just another form of the Catholic, uh, of the Catholic saints idea. It's just another form of what King John did. And, and let me tell you something, what King Louis did uh, when, he, when, he had those, when he had those reliquaries. I, it's very tempting as a pastor to want to own that. That's right, baby, come on. Got him hearing good. Tell me what you want, I'll go talk to him. <laughs> and honestly, I kind of feel that way anyway, because I know Jesus listens to me all the time. But you have not marked the wonder of Jesus listening to me. The fact that Jesus listens to me is more amazing than you think. Because it means he listens to the least. He listens to the failures. He listens to those who hate him. He listens to those who would want their own way. Praise him. You see, my glory and my joy, when I go to God, and if you don't know me, you won't know this, but I can, I've asked for millions and gotten them like that. It's weird. It's, it's really weird. And people around you, uh, thank you. Will you take that from me? People around me will mock me because they don't even believe it. They're, I remember I was at a fundraiser and he looked at me and he goes, well, do you think God's just going to give you whatever you want? And I looked at him and I was like, well, that's actually, that's what he's always done. And, then, and within three months, we had a gift for three million. That was, well, that was a long time ago. But I, I, my point about that is I'm no better than that. That's what always amazes. You see, the reason my, God knocks my socks off is because every time he answers my prayers, I am confronted with grace, Right? I am confronted into my face with the reality of a love that is greater than my sin. Praise him. There are no mediators left. And if you want to learn from me my secret as to why I get so many answers, it's because I am resting on nothing but timeless, eternal grace. And I praise him. You know, and, but I want to talk about there's still I still, you know what's funny is I still am slow to go to God. We'll talk about that in a second. You think, oh wow, you must like go right. And I don't. Because I'm still strong. Let's talk about God's word now. My words, my words, my words. Because it's going to help us know what to do next. What does his word do? Well, the pastors are always trying to get you to read your Bibles, aren't they? I know, I guess I could stand up here with a, with a, with a big whip and just, you know, come on. Read your Bibles. Read them more. Read them more often. Read them in the morning. Read them at night. Memorize them. And some of you may listen to me, some of you won't. Most of you probably won't. But Christ understands his words as dwelling in that intersection, as living here to help us here, where he lived and spoke. And because life is so confusing between this finite, crummy world at times and the supernatural, between the corruption and guilt that bangs me in the face as I worry about an eternal holiness, what do I do? Oh, I know what we do. Let's begin. In Psalm 119, I, let me tell you something. Psalm 119 is divided up into 24, 24 or 22. I can't remember right now, but uh, stanzas. Each one is a meditation itself on the wonders of God's word. Because you see, it doesn't escape the ancients that if an infinite God has spoken with an infinite love, man, we got it all. We have it. We have the truth. Now, and the reason I, I'm so excited about this is I think fake news, and we saw that the, I was watching the, the way these videos are being doctored to make Pelosi look like she's slurring. And this is wickedness, right? But it's everywhere. It's everywhere, and I'm hoping that in, in the presence of fake news and the way it's being used and manipulated, people will finally, our generation will finally turn to him who is truth himself. His name is truth. He delivers to us, 
an infinite perspective. It can never be wrong. What does this truth do? What does your Bible do? <laughs> it gives you life. <laughs> and Psalm 119 is flowing with life. I, I will never forget your precepts. Why? For by them you have given me life. Did you, read what, did you hear what Christ said down there? His commandments are what? Eternal life. You see, Christ is piggybacking on Psalms. He knows these Psalms. We know that because he quoted the Psalms more than any other book. It was his book. And, and so he is taking the wonderful ideas of the psalmist and, and filling them with what? Him. He's filling them with himself, saying, look, I'm the one who delivers what everything that psalmist wanted. Now look at this. Look how beautiful this is. I, they give you life. I will run in the path of your commands. I, I memorized this years ago, but the way I memorized it was, I will run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. Well, that Hebrew right there is also properly properly describes enlarging. What's this first, what are these first two promises, the first two verses promises about the word? It just changes you, bro. It just changes you. If you start reading, it changes you. It just does. I don't understand it. It's, well, it makes sense if it's an eternal word, an eternal word of love from an infinite God coming out of, from outside the cosmos to save us. Well, I kind of make, oh, I, uh, oh yeah, well, the word changes me. Looks, many of you are frustrated with a lack of change in your life, but you're resistant to the word. You say, I don't understand it so often. Don't worry about that. The Lord understands it. The Lord will know how to make it deliverable to you. I remember envying uh, mature men the way they could handle the Bible, but do you know how they got there? (laughs) By, By being in it. By being mastered by it. And as the scriptures master you, they will change you. They will change the way you think and feel. They will. What do they do? Open your heart, enlarge your heart, give you life. Praise him. What else do they do? What's their second deliverable? A comprehensive uh, a map for life. And these are all the law, the testimony, the precepts, and the commandments, and the rules. And then it puts the fear of God in here, because obviously, if you actually read all these, you will fear God. And we can talk about that later. But look, what are the deliverables, and let's say quality of life deliverables for believers living in the tension? What does it do? Revives you. Feel dead? It revives you. Feel stupid? It can make you wise. Feel down? It gives you reason for rejoice. Feel dumb? Like I really can't, it, it can open your eyes. Will it last? Will it pass? No, it won't. Is it reliable? Oh, yes. It is righteous altogether. <laughs> Every bit. Every part. It has constant consumable deliverables for us. Does that make sense? It's constantly delivering. And, and so this is why uh, the, the, the scriptures never tell us to read our Bible in the morning and then read five chapters in the afternoon and read five chapters. They never do that, ever. You know why? Because rules don't heal you. New rules don't heal. New rules don't create righteousness. New rules don't create goodness. They don't. They just create people who obey rules. That's all they do. And then people who obey rules think they're good. And once you do that, you're missing the infinite God and his love again. You're off the track again. You're no longer there. You're no longer understanding what God is doing and who he is. God doesn't give us rules, but he gives us something beautiful and says, don't you want this? (laughs) This is how you get this. Don't you want to be renewed, aware, alive, wise, understand? Don't you want these things? Ah, let me show you my word. Should you show my word? Let me show you my word. 
So it has all these deliverables. Why aren't we reading it? Psalm 119 again. All right, not only does it have transformation, not only does it have a deliverable in a quality of Christian living that a lot of us are not touching or tasting. Oh, it's so much there. What else does it do? It just helps us in the fight against sin. You know what's funny about this text? Is it was written, what, six or 700 B.C. Isn't it funny that the question, how can a young man keep his way pure, is as relevant today <laughs> as it was then? Isn't that a wonderful bridge? Like, like, we, th- we often think that we're confronted with so much smut or difficulty or, or, or temptation. Or, don't believe all that. This world is a wicked, wicked place, and it does seem to deceive us and, and, and trounce us. I get that. But it was no different back then. <laughs> it has always been the same. And you know what has always been your need, our need, to be buttressed against this world? What does it say? I have stored up your word in my heart that what? I may not sin against you. How can a young man keep his worth? My my whole heart I seek you. What does it look like to seek God with your whole heart? To not wander from his commandments, but to store them in his heart. Oh, and I, this, look, I'm giving you, you don't even, I'm giving you a gift here. This is a gift from me, from the Lord, from the scripture. If you are deep in the dark recesses of a lot of sin struggle and failure in your life, store up the word of God in you. What is it? It's a weird, I don't know what it does. It does all these things we talk, all these deliverables and, and life and transformation. But it's like, a, a, it, you know, really, really cheap steak is unattractive to eat, isn't it? I mean, a cheap, cheap cut of meat. It's so nasty. Unless, unless you have a good marinade. What happens with a good eight to 12 hour marinade on a tough piece of meat? Well, it becomes tender, full of flavor. It becomes it's the most delicious thing you can eat. You're the same way. You need to marinate in the Word of God. That's what the Word of God, it softens that, stu- that, that heart of leather, that heart of stone, that heart that's toughened, and it's gotten toughened by the world. We all get there, don't we? With a blink, we get there. We, you know, and what does the Word do in our battle? Oh, it softens us that we might not sin against Him. But it gets better and better as we live in the paradoxes, doesn't it? Because the word actually delivers to us Jesus. You see, as we live here in the nexus of all of these tensions, there's a lot of, there's a lot of schizophrenic kind of confusion. I don't know which way is up sometimes, or what the will of God is, or how do I understand my constant fallenness? What does the word do? You see, the word, the, word, the word is the map for how to navigate this strange world we're in right now. It's the, it's the truth. And it will guide you unerringly, certainly through all of these tensions into this. Because you see, corruption will be exchanged for what? A new creation. It's all going to be new one day. And God knows we're in this now, but not yet. We know that he's delivered to us an infinite grace, but we struggle with, you know, worries about our job. <laughs> and, but God, Jesus knows we live there. That's why his word is such an unerring way and path through this world. And I encourage you, I implore you, I beg you, if you would know Christ, know his word. 
If you would wonder how to have conquered sin, be in the word. If you would be wonder, where's my rejoicing, reviving, living life that seems so all over the Bible, you don't have it because you don't have his word. You don't have his story. I'm trumped, I'm trounced by sin daily. Then fill up your heart with his word. Why, why again? Well, the Bible's very, very, very simple about it, isn't it? It's so simple. It just calls him the word. <laughs> just so you don't miss it. Just so you don't miss it. I, uh, I guess I, I think that's all I have to say. All right, let's pray. Father, Father, I know there's more that I, there's more to say. There's so much more to say. Pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my lips would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I pray that your word would bring life today to us because we need it. I pray your, Lord, your word would bring victory. And I, Lord, I just pray the word would bring you, you, Lord Jesus, deep into our lives. We're stuck here between the infinite and the finite, and it gets confusing. And we are bewildered by sin and corruption before a holy God. Lead us again and again to the cross, to Jesus, to your love. Lead us again this week. Lead us at this table to that and give us joy. We thank you for your word. Thank you that you spoke to us in space and time to deliver us eternity. <laughs> praise you, Father. In Jesus we praise you and ask for the Holy Spirit now as we worship. Amen.